Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 61 of the Lawyerist podcast, where we talk with Chad Burton about what bar associations can do to help lawyers run their practices and whether bar associations need to rebrand. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to let your mind do what it was trained to do, practice law. You need Clio, the leading law practice management software to help you take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. If you enjoy this show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So, Aaron, the big news is that we just got back from Tech Show, which is one of our favorite events every year to see what's new in the software and uh, for lawyers world, uh, to touch base with old friends and generally to just have a good time with a bunch of nerdy lawyers who like technology. It was a good time in Chicago last week. So, here are a couple of things that I picked up. The uh, the practice management software explosion continues. Uh, last year, we saw a few new entrants into the market. Um, this year, some of them made it back with, uh, and in a couple of cases, with much larger bank accounts due to funding. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I kept a precise count, but I think it was close to a dozen different good practice management software applications right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I can look back and and roughly pinpoint uh, where this started. And it's when Clio raised $18 million or whatever it was. And my case got bought in a pretty high profile acquisition by Appfolio. And a bunch of small startups realized, whoa, there's money in legal. And there's specifically money in practice management software. And as you observed to me, a lot of this stuff is really high quality. Uh, there's a lot of nice software out there. And the main difference is just that each one has their their different spin on it. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I think it's kind of a philosophical difference that some are kind of more project-based, some are automation-based, some are really heavy on mobile, some are trying to move the kind of older menus-based high um, customization software model onto the cloud. Like there's a lot, there are a lot of different philosophies of, how this should work. Yeah. Um, and maybe I should mention a couple of the really uh, different ones. Um, Practice, Practice Panther is one of the ones that showed up with a lot more money than they had last year. I think they raised four or five million dollars in between Tech Show last year and this year. Um, and they were just sort of hanging around, um, keeping an eye on things. Uh, Zola, uh, we wrote about, and Zola burst out of the gate with fully kind of like full-sized. It, it had apps, it has a beautiful website, and uh, they, really, they really started with a lot of stuff. Uh, there are others. Uh, one of the most exciting ones I saw this year is legal project management software. That's Locus. And Locus really takes the agile project management workflow and bakes it into software for law firms. And I, I could see it being used by a solo or by a, even a, like a team of litigators at a big firm or a, you know, a, a contract negotiation practice group, or just a small firm that wants to stay on top of everything. Uh, it's a really neat sort of, uh, it's similar to Trello. It's a really cool approach. Um, and then there's specialty stuff like Factbox, which is case management software, but um, in the sense of managing your facts and evidence. Uh, and I just posted something about that. There, there's just so much stuff out there and it's all cool. And it all seems to be doing pretty well. And the bottom line is like, if you want to try some software, and you aren't super happy about one, try another one. There's it's probably something that's built to suit your particular tastes. Yeah, I mean, a couple of others uh, our friends at Smokeball, who have been around for a few years doing document automation software, have extended their software enough that now they kind of hold themselves out as full suite practice management software as opposed to just document automation. Um, Filevine is an interesting one that yep. is trying to incorporate text messages into their practice management software. And you can sign your your uh, documents with a selfie. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. Uh, Leap is new. Um, I, I think they were competing with Smokeball in Australia and 
uh, came to the U.S. I don't know if they, it was because they saw Smokeball doing well here or what, but they said we want some of that too. Um, and it's also sort of document automation focused um, for Windows. Smokeball is also kind of a Windows product. Um, lots are in the cloud. Uh, it's just, it's cool. It's neat to see. There's whatever it is that you're specifically looking for, there is something out there for you. So with all of the software, I, I'm reluctant to say that it's starting to feel like a bubble. Yeah. And it's not a bubble where this stuff is garbage and people shouldn't be buying it. It's a bubble in the sense that we can't keep having more and more software every year. There can't, there no. can't be another five next year. Well, no, I mean, uh, law practice is a very well-defined market um, because it's lawyers who practice law, but it's also not a huge one, uh, but it's unclear to me whether the bubble has started to grow in any sort of unsustainable way yet. There's, there's clearly lots of room for growth still, um, but I'm, but I'm not, I'm not sure where we are in that process. Um, I think we're at the beginning of it, but I'm not sure. I, I think that's right. Or, I mean, this one seems more cyclical than anything because there have been kinds yeah. of booms and busts in the past in this particular space too. I think one of the things that'll be interesting to watch is the degree to which these companies, which ones are profitable a year or two from now and yeah. which are still relying on outside investor money or expectations of future growth or things like that to sustain themselves. Um, Cause at some point you have to actually make money. Oh yeah. And you know, I guess on the other, on the customer side of things too, one of the, one of the reasons for the, the boom in practice management software, I think is that everybody's telling new lawyers in particular that they need it. And well, I think, I think that's totally right. I think the other part is, there remain the majority of the market on old install software that yep. haven't moved to apps in the cloud. And so there's huge potential even within the existing market, let alone new lawyers. Yeah. So I, I think there's plenty of room for growth. And I, I think um, any practice management software providers that, that want to succeed probably can as long as they build a good product and are willing to put it out there to lawyers and, and, and bring on enough customers. Uh, and it's exciting. Like, like I said, I, I, I basically started Lawyerist because I was frustrated with the, the practice management software that I was using at the time. And there really weren't any other good options until I stumbled across Clio and Rocket Matter and, and later my case. And, and, and now there's just a, a bouquet of practice management software options. Uh, it's really it's really nice. You can do it your own way and get a great product to meet your needs. So I, I think it's really cool to see. Uh, and if, and since this is one of my sort of pet interests, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah. So switching tech show gears. Um, last week over lunchtime, I gave a panel presentation um, on some of the interesting statistical findings from the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center annual tech survey. And a couple of the statistics that I spoke about, um, I thought would be interesting for this audience. The first is that according to the survey, 10% of lawyers still use Windows XP as their operating system. Windows XP, of course, is a 15-year-old operating system that Windows no longer even supports. And yet, According to the survey, one in 10 lawyers are still using that as their law firm operating system. I'll be around to collect your law licenses this week. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, like, you, you, we've talked at length in the past about kind of the need for lawyers to be tech competent. And I am perfectly comfortable saying that if you are using Windows XP in your law office, you are not technologically competent and you need to figure it you're, out. You're not, you're not even close. You're on the end of the scale that I would call grossly negligent with your client's information. Yeah, which isn't you're dumb. Um, it just means you need to figure this out right now. Yeah, no, like you needed to figure it out when long before Microsoft finally canceled XP after giving lots and lots of warnings. That's, it's honestly, it's ridiculous. And I can't even imagine what kind of computers this is running on. Like, yep. What? Old desktops. So then the other <laughs> statistics that, statistic that was interesting is that 16% of solos run their law offices on Macs, but approximately slightly more than 0% of any other law firms do. So even two and three person firms statistically close to 0% are, but 16% of solos 
are Mac law firms. That's kind of surprising to me. I guess I would have thought it was a lot higher than that. I mean, that's because you live in a techie dot com lawyerist universe um, as opposed to just working in a law office, which are all Windows based still. I, I suppose that's true. Uh, but also, I, I just pulled up our visitor statistics on lawyerist and about 25% of our visitors to lawyerist are obviously using um, or actually it looks like more like a third of our visitors are using Safari. Uh, and 25% of those are using it on a desktop. So that suggests to me that about 25% or more of our readers are on Mac. So maybe our demographics are a little skewed with relation to the solo small world at large. But Yeah, and it's very possible that the survey also skews a little larger or a little old school. But in general, let's call it 20% either way. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting uh, and it's growing. So it used to be last year it was 14%. Before that, it was smaller. Um, I'd say on average, it's picking up 1% to 3% a year. Um, so Macs, Macs are legitimate for solo practice at least. And I guess I would say that I, I, my hunch is that's, that's less evidence that Macs are better than PCs or that people prefer, prefer them to PCs or anything like that, which clearly isn't true. Um or that they're, you know, that if, that that's evidence that it's going to happen because Macs are superior or something. Uh, I've never thought that. Uh, I think what it's showing is that people are feeling the freedom to use whatever they want because there is less legal specific software that depends on desktop operating systems and more of it that is in the cloud. So you can, if you want to use a Mac, go ahead. And some people prefer it. And if you want to use Windows, go ahead. Uh, but I think it's going to, you know, we already talked about uh, that older software uh, that's got to be installed on your system and that maybe you need a server for. And that, that's there's still a ton of that out there and it all runs on Windows. Almost none of it runs on Macs. And so uh, I think there's probably still some institutional um, resistance or, or gravity or momentum on the Windows side of things. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that number continue to grow up to like about a third or a half at some point um, just because it won't matter so much what you use anymore. But, um, but I was... I was when you told me that at tech show, I was kind of like, "Wow, really? Really? It's it's that." I mean, Mac use is vanishingly small in the LTRC survey. Yep. So above solo use, it it is thankfully higher than the number of lawyers on Windows XP. <laughs> what about lawyers on WordPerfect? I thought I caught wind of a statistic on Word Eight, and WordPerfect. Eighteen percent. Yeah. Well, Though in in fairness, ninety eight percent use Word. So for some reason, approximately 16% of lawyers have both. Or don't know what they have? Well, they, they said they use, like, <laughs> they, they didn't say I don't know. They answered yes. And 16% say that they use both Word and WordPerfect, which seems like too much. Well, I mean, I, you know, if you want to use WordPerfect, use WordPerfect. I, it, I, unlike Windows XP, it, there is a current and up-to-date up version of WordPerfect. Yep. <laughs> so, you got that going for you. Well, uh, I, I love the LTRC survey every year. There's always something that makes me kind of want to tear my hair out. So, <laughs> Windows XP. So, with that in mind, uh, here's my conversation with Chad about the future for bar associations. Hi, my name is Chad Burton. I am the CEO of Curo Legal. I'm an attorney from Dayton, Ohio, and at Curo we provide uh, technology consulting, contingent staffing solutions, and we develop technology for bar associations. So, um, I've known you and um, your now partner, Nicole, and the Curo Legal people for a while. Um, and I feel like you're always struggling to um, for like a really pithy way to describe the thing because you guys actually do kind of a few different things. Um, but the tech consulting piece is really easy for me to get my head around. You guys, if somebody wants to know what practice management software to use, you'll help them. If they need training, you'll help them with that, right? Like kind of right. run the gamut of that. Exactly. Was that pithy enough? My I, yeah, I don't there? know. Okay. I, th I think you've right. got that piece down. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said something contingent that, and I couldn't get that one. Uh, provide contingent staffing. That mean, so, you mean outsourcing, right? Correct. So we are uh, actually we have a new marketplace that we have 
put our uh, freelance attorney network, our virtual assistants and paralegals on so that instead of having a more manual process for hiring those services through us, we now have it on a marketplace gotcha. that the lawyers can go in and actually do the, you know, provide, put their uh, request in directly, then the proposals can be sent in from the freelancers. And the whole transaction occurs through the platform, including payment. So it's sort of like Elance for lawyers. Exactly. Although Elance isn't actually a thing anymore, is it? They re- yeah, it's they Upwork. Rebranded it? Upwork. Yeah, Upwork now. Yes, right. Upwork for lawyers. So it's Upwork slash Elance for lawyers. The exactly. tech world is getting confusing. It is. <laughs> Why make it simple? <laughs> and and then you've you've start you just started partnering with bar associations. Tell me about that. So we've been working with bars for a while in different capacities. And the pithy version that I just gave you was we develop technology for bars. That's a pretty simple way of doing it. But we have partnered with bars in different ways. One is just the member benefit concept, providing a discount to members and uh, with all of our services. But on the, the tech development, which I think is very cool, is that we are working with bars uh, to really develop practice management software for their members. Um, it's not replacing the Clio's or the Rocket Matters or Dropboxes or Boxes, but it's a different type. And uh, we just, in January, rolled out a new platform with the New York State Bar uh, that is a, it's called the Law Hub, which mm-hmm. does a couple things um, currently in the first phase, which is it curates bar content. So most bar association websites barf up content at its members. <laughs> um, and it's really, it, it doesn't, it's not focused on your type of practice. And so you might be an estate planning lawyer and you get on the site and you get all kinds of awesome information, you know, not only about estate planning, but criminal defense and things like that. So one, right. it curates content based on your type of practice. Then the other is that it integrates third-party software. Uh, Currently, as it stands today, when we're recording this, it it integrates uh, Clio, LawPay, FastCase, and Google Calendar. Uh, There are others in the works like Office 365 and and some other platforms. So the idea is just bring all of your practice stuff into one place? Exactly. It's a dashboard for everything you need. Cool. And that you're hoping to bring that to other states at some point, I think. I mean, it is a it is a New York platform, but it's pretty easy to kind of take it out and you can string it out in that fashion. Cool. So that kind of seg gives us a segue, I think, into what we're going to talk about today, which is um, bar associations and the future of bar associations for lawyers and law practice which you've done some talking about and trying to figure this out. And I, I love this topic because you know, bar associations um, seem to be struggling for relevance and they're struggling to, you know, honestly survive in some cases because lawyers are finding them less necessary, I guess. Is that right? I, I don't have data on that, but it seems like what's going on. Yeah, you know, it's a, I find it a really fascinating topic because you can, you know, as we work with bars everywhere and trying to figure out what's the best way to you know, help their you know, lawyers run their practice. I mean, that's the that's the key thing they're looking at because you, we've got this situation where we have you have your voluntary bars and then you have your integrated or mandatory bars. So some state bars are integrated slash mandatory, which means if you're going to be a member of the bar, um, not only are they the kind of the CLE resource and committee resource, but they also are you know, governing licensure. Uh, Ohio is the opposite. So in Ohio, the Supreme Court is, you know, that's who we get our law license through. Uh, but the Ohio State Bar is a voluntary bar for all the kind of the fun stuff, the, um, uh, you know, the CLE committees, et cetera. And, and so I imagine the integrated bars, the mandatory bars aren't feeling a pinch there unless there are fewer lawyers, but there are more lawyers. So they're probably doing great. Well, you would think, but where their, their challenges are, um, the and I forget the name of it uh, because that would be a detail that would be logical for this discussion. But there's <laughs> a um, there was a there was a, a court case in North Carolina where um, there was a kind of a mandatory 
trade association for dentists and the, oh, right. you remember the te- this? The tooth whiteners. Yes, that's what it was. And, um, of course said, Nope, that's not okay. And so what the mandatory bars are worried about and actually are experiencing are, are kind of some uh, you know, challenges that are kind of grumbling and, and some have been quite overt. So there's a, they're actually, it's the same thing. So some are expecting to go voluntary in the not too distant future. So they're going to have to look at it from a membership standpoint too. Mm-hmm. So I would argue at this point, just because of that experience that everybody's kind of on the same plane right now, you have and, to and basically they're all, they, a lot of, it sounds like some of them are considering themselves voluntary, even if they haven't really gone that way yet. Oh, exactly. And I mean, it, you know, let's say if you, a lot of bars, especially the mandatory ones will say, um, there, since they handle discipline, they'll say, Hey, we're trying to protect the public. And, you know, let's look at Florida, for example, who's you know, had a big focus over the past year, year and a half on technology. Well, okay. So that's important, obviously in general for our profession to, to deal with like the legal tech issues, but you can say, okay, well that will help people run their practice and keep them out of trouble. So it has that effect. So if, if it is a, you know, if you have lawyers practicing in a more organized fashion, providing better service, they're going to be in trouble less. And at the mm-hmm. same time, obviously, the in, the uh, malpractice carriers love that because it costs them a whole heck of a lot less money on uh, on claims. So yeah, it's a different angles on it, but it all kind of comes to the same end result: is how do you make people, you know, how do you help people run better practices? That's the challenge. And so, I, you know, I've seen a couple of approaches and it seems like the most common one is bar associations are really trying to, uh, the word value comes up a lot, Yep. right? Like they're, they're struggling to prove that there's a value to members and, and that makes a lot of sense when you're talking about volunteer bars. Um, it, it seems to me, so here, here's the, the problem though that I, I think I see with that is that I'll, a lot of bar associations are trying to provide value in the form of benefits like free fast case or case maker. Um, our, my state is in the middle of switching, I guess, and uh, and things like that. But but I'm a great example of the problem with that, which is that is if those things aren't valuable to you, then all of a sudden you start equating your bar membership with the sign-up fee or the, the subscription fee for that product. And so when I was no longer actively practicing, I didn't need fast case every day anymore. I was like, yeah, I guess I can drop the bar association membership. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a lot of what the, the focus especially has been on member benefits. And a lot of bars are relooking, taking, kind of stepping back right now and saying, okay, do we really need to you know, weigh a Clio discount on the same level as the Avis discount? <laughs> people, people have the internet, they can go find their Avis discount or, you know, that's, it's one of those things where it's like, is that discount what used to have some kind of value to it? I don't, I don't think it goes as far anymore just because people can get it from so many different directions. Um, so yeah, that's a, I think that's part of the challenge. So what is it you know, from a, a bar perspective? How do you step up that member benefit to make it something you know, really meaningful? And that's, I think that's where the challenge lies. And that's, they're all looking at this. I mean, we were just at, um, a NAVI retreat for the executive directors, uh, national association of bar execs and right before tech show. I mean, these are the, these are the issues that they're all trying to figure out. And, and what's, you know, what happens in kind of the writing and, you know, when you see like, you know, Carolyn Elephant write about this stuff and the kind of the evil bar kind of world, like knowing, you know, most of these execs and, and the leaders within these bars, like they are, you know, they're really trying to figure this mm-hmm. out. And they, and because they, what are some of the other things they're trying? That's what I'm curious about. So you see the, you know, New York is a good example. I don't, there's a lot more than that, but the idea of providing a, free tech platform to help you run your practice, I think is, um, I think that's super significant. I think out of every kind of offering that we've seen from a bar, that is the biggest one. And obviously I'm slightly biased on why it's a good idea since we're involved with it, but that is a, that's a different dynamic, right? Is a free member benefit. You have a new platform that the bar effectively built 
to provide for its members. So I think that's a good one there. Um, you see, uh, let's use Florida again there, which is um, they've got their Practice Resource Institute, which is what mm-hmm. um, I believe it's called that yeah, they rolled PRI. out. Yeah, PRI, which rolled out, uh, I think, like two Januarys ago. And that is focused on it, what they did was they stepped back and said, look at, let's look at what we offer to our lawyers to help them run their practice. And uh, the story, I, mean, I actually saw this on their site when this was being worked on. It's some, it's some meetings where they, uh, they used to have on their website, if you need help with a business plan for your law firm, go to your local community center, synagogue, or church. And that was the advice on the state bar's website. <laughs> so that is a, like, which is hilarious on so many different levels. Yeah. And so what they did was they kind of stepped back and they had a, a, not just a tech committee, but they brought together their key leaders within the bar and said, this is a really important issue for us and uh, spent a lot of time on that. And so the, while the PRI is really, you know, a, way of kind of repackaging content that exists in most places, um, that's a great start and it's the right kind of focus. And they, they, I mean, you just at tech show, uh, I don't know if you, were you there on Saturday morning for the plenary session mm-hmm. for, um, so you had you know, three leaders within the Florida legal community, including uh, Ray Abedin, their current president sitting there talking about, yeah, we didn't get this stuff before. And it, it wasn't really a high priority. And then it surfaced uh, in front of our faces. And now they're, this is what they live and breathe. And it's really, I think it's really changed the dynamic for Florida, which is one of the, while a website that can repackages tech uh, information is not the most groundbreaking thing in the world. It's the step in the right direction. Yeah. It, it, it keeps you moving. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and that's what a lot of bars need is that kind of that first step mm-hmm. to do something significant that they haven't done before. And that, that just kind of, it, it kind of starts opening the floodgates, I think for being significant. Although the Florida bar website is also an example of, um, how frustrating it can be when your bar association picks a, um, a bad vendor. <laughs> well, no, the actual um, site is I, I find it impossible to link to anything on that website because the URLs are all seven pages long. Right. Um, and they break no matter where you try to put them. <laughs> um, so I don't know who their vendor is, but but I hope they that contract is up soon so that they can get a website we can use. Um, <laughs> that's my, that's just my little. Well, it's like, you know, it's like my Free little advice. frustration. Yes. Like I want to hold up. They 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 are trying and they're doing good things. Right. And every time every time I come up with a criticism, uh, Adriana Linares, who's been on our podcast, is like, "Come on, don't give them a hard time. They're trying." But like. Yeah, you're trying, but like make it easier on people. Like it's impossible to share their content because their website makes it impossible. Um, yeah, that, so. yeah, and that that actually is a uh, it's kind of a really fascinating topic that I think most large bar associations are struggling with. And think about the amount of content a state bar produces in you know, a year. Well, actually the, the announcement of the law hub, Dave Miranda, the New York state bar's current president, uh, told the, uh, the audience that NISBA produces 80 million pages of content a year. And, you know, obviously not original, um, you know, web pages, but within their site, that's how much content is being produced. Oh yeah. That's a crazy amount. Yeah. So then think about like, all right, so you're doing that and, you know, NISBA has 74,000 members, so they're the largest voluntary bar. Florida has about 100,000 members. Um, think about taking all of that information and how to deal with it. And, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. You know, um, it, so one of the messages that I don't see much of that I, I always kind of wanted to is um, I, I, I feel like what resonates with me is not – um, not even coaching or teaching, um, but maybe that's me because I feel like I, I know a lot of stuff and I, I spend a lot of time geeking out on tech and, and innovation. But um, 
but where what happened to sort of the social club aspect of bar associations? It feels like they've just tossed that and they're not worrying about it much anymore. I mean, my state bar association doesn't have a single like high-end event for lawyers all year. The 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 most the most fancy event they put on is a buffet with a silent auction to raise money. Um, and it's not the kind of thing that you feel like you even have to put a jacket on to go to. Isn't that right up our alley, though, right now? <laughs> so that we don't have to get dressed up? Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, certainly oh, wait, attractive to me. We're not the target audience. That's right. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I'll wear my, my uh, Converse All-Stars with a suit. Um, exactly. Nobody's going to judge except for every other lawyer in that room. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, I feel like that. I feel like there's very little social element there. There are parliamentary bodies and committees and there are um, there are even some networking happy hours that are very awkward to go to and things. But there's no just like socialize with members of the bar and build relationships. Yeah, that's the uh, I think that from is probably more on the local level. Mm hmm. I mean, the that's where we see it in Ohio. So, so if I look at Ohio right now, um, our state bar we have a. So we I mentioned earlier we have a voluntary bar association, mm -hmm. and then we have we have six what they call metro bars, and they are I think the six metro bars have about twenty thousand members combined. Ohio State Bar I think has about twenty five thousand members. Nobody knows the overlap because that would include looking at data so nobody can <laughs> get, figure out that answer. Um, but the, there is a, we have a lot of local now we, I don't, I can't point to a lot of fancy events beyond um, it, that are open to everybody. But you know, our, for example, our Ohio state bar foundation does put on a really nice annual meeting that is a, you know, is it going to attract every lawyer in the state? No, but it is a, it's a it's a really good event um, that usually go to, but yeah, we have a lot of what you talked about—the happy hours and the those kind of networking events that um, I think are still key because, and that's where the local bars play an important role. I see. Are that's those a good local? Point. I mean, those are, and plus, I mean, think about it, you know, while you and you know, I might enjoy kind of a fancy event, you know from time to time or every weekend. I don't know your particular style on that. <laughs> You're like, I need a black tie event every weekend or I'm not yeah. happy. No, um, that's true. I, I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So the, especially if you're trying, because the biggest challenge to, that we have now from a bar perspective is attracting the newer members. And so you have to kind of do things that fit within the younger demographics of the bar world. And so those are things that are easy to attend. And sure. so I think that's where the happy hours still play a role. And I know here in Dayton, our bar gets really good attendance at those kind of events, especially from young lawyers. Um, I think that's the, that networking club part of it is still super important from a local bar perspective. Uh, in fact, I mean, I, uh, teach uh, with uh, Will Harrelson, one of our Kiro team members. We co-teach the law practice management course at University of Dayton School of Law. And I instituted this back when I started teaching the class several years ago, that they have to join the Dayton Bar Association and they have to participate in two meaningful events where they have to go out and socialize and talk to lawyers. And um, the uh, And that includes, I mean, that can be you know, going to a happy hour and spending time with other lawyers, networking, learning about their practices, et cetera. Sure. And then they write it up and, you know, that's their, one of their assignments for the semester because the point is to get them out and to experience that because most of them don't. And we have moved from the culture of, uh, from a profession, like when I started practicing where it's, you just join the bar because, that's your professional obligation. That's what you do. Um, I remember sitting in orientation at the first week at the firm I started at, and we had it was a forty attorney firm. We had seven people in our starting class, and I remember during that orientation week, uh, one of the equity partners sat there and said, "Look, we're going to pay for your bar dues, and you are going to participate." And you are going to be active on committees. You're going to attend events because this is your professional obligation. 
And I think a lot of that's changed because part of it is tightening of budgets, especially you know, down economic downturn time, 2008, 2009, where people aren't paying for bar dues as much. So we've lost part of that culture. So people aren't feeling as compelled when they enter the profession to join because it's not as easy. But I, I think that's part of the challenge that, w- that we see with bars is where they're uh, especially losing that social part of it with the younger folks. So next I want to talk about branding, but first we're going to stop for two minutes for messages from our sponsors. Today we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting, everything you need to run your practice. There, that's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the law practice manager more lawyers trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844-500-CLIO. Okay, and we're back. And Chad, you recently wrote an article about how you think bar associations need to rebrand. Now, I have mixed feelings about the concept of branding it's at once a really annoying term and a really useful concept um but i maybe that plays into some of what we've been talking about where especially because you know money is a thing right nobody has money everybody everybody is trying to cut overhead where they can uh we talked a couple weeks ago about how carolyn elephant recommended cutting your extra bar association memberships at least as a way to reduce your overhead is that kind of what you're talking about the bar associations need to um come at value from a different angle and and try and persuade people to join even, uh, you know, or, or sort of re-persuade or start over, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a different angle on membership now because the, uh, you know, we're talking about the social part of it, which I think is still important. The, uh, the content CLE part of it, which is a big driving force for most bars, is usually what they lead with. They say, hey, you get a discount on CLE, the challenge there is everybody's trying to fight for that, including in the private sector. Mm-hmm. So you've got companies that, you know, while it's ridiculously expensive, the, which or seems to me anyways, people go that route. Or bigger firms are providing it in-house for free. Government agencies are providing it for free. So there's, there's so much competition on that front. And, the, and then the last part of it is the social, you know, the element of, Helping the public and protecting the public, obviously, you know, super important. But that's not all of that combined isn't getting us there. That's not helping people join with those focus with that focus. So I guess what I'm I'm saying is you know, maybe not rename your bar, although that could be awesome. We could probably come up with better names. But the uh, it's what you know, how are you attacking, you know, value as you said earlier. And I and I think that rebranding of it is the what's your purpose? And I always am taking the position that you the bars that will be successful are those that are truly acting as an extension of uh, a lawyer's practice. So if a lawyer needs help with their practice, they are going to the bar to, you know, as that, that first resource to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean the bar necessarily has to have all the answers, but they're that guiding force. Like they used to be in the past. So that's, I think that's where the, the whole kind of practice management element of things is where an opportunity that bars have that, um, that no one else can really corner in a meaningful way and with that kind of mass amount of attention. Right. Um, I mean, let's say, you know, not everybody can be, you know, if we're, we're talking about practice management uh, information, the, you know, you think about kind of the, the main, you know, think about obviously lawyers, you think about, um, you, know, you know, the attorney at work, the, some of these other online research, great, right? But then it's that can take them so far. 
you can read, you know, not everybody can read and then, you know, get it across across the finish line. They need more resources than that. And so I think that's where the bar can come in. And they can also take your you know, work with you on content and you know, not, you don't have every lawyer reader yet in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, while, so the bars could also, you know, instead of saying, Hey, let's, let's create a bunch of new content that basically competes with, you know, that stuff that's out there. That's silly. You take it, you know, let's get really good stuff that's already out there in front of people that they might not otherwise be aware of. And so, and so, you know, what, what's the first thing a bar association should do if they, if they're trying to do that? Like where do they start trying to rebrand? Yeah, I think they start by looking at, what they have now, which sounds like a, a silly thing, but there's a, I was at a, a conference a couple of years ago with a, a Metro bar conference. And uh, one of the discussions kind of resonated with what you said earlier. We said, nobody has money. Well, mm-hmm. that's not exactly true. Everybody <laughs> has money. It's just, how are you spending it? Yeah. And you know, what you sit down and look at everything you're doing. What are the, what programs do you have out there that, you've been doing for the past decade because the president at the time thought it was important and nobody really had the guts to say in the past decade to say, that is dumb. We're losing so much money on that or it's break even or great. Five people think it, you know, it's still a good idea. You know, that Those are the kind of programs that should go. And then you take those dollars and you reallocate them for something else. Uh, so I think you look at what you have now, both from a programming standpoint and, and say, okay, what should say, what should go and also look at, we were talking about the member benefits earlier. I think you look at those and say, great, we've done a really good job of you know, compiling this laundry list of discounts. Mm-hmm. It's really awesome that our members can you know, get that Avis discount like they could get if they spent three seconds Googling the same concept. Or, oh, you know what's awesome? They can get Muzak at a discounted rate for their office. <laughs> or um, a copier discount. That's great. Is that really necessary? Or, <laughs> or even you know, valuable. In or any even way. valuable. Or let's say that, let's say the determination is Great. Those those are things we should keep around. Well, maybe the answer is look at your key uh, member benefits that are really helping people run their practice mm-hmm. that people are using. And say you mentioned the fast case case maker issue earlier. Uh, if people really are you know active practicing lawyers, you know, take a look at those uh, that kind of offering and say, wow, that's really good. That is a whole heck of a lot cheaper than a thousand dollar a month West or Lexus uh, account. Maybe I should learn more about that. And you and you say, okay, well, those are good member benefits that we need to put focus on. Let's put those front and center, and then let's take those, you know, the Avises, et cetera, and either move them off into a different area or convert them over. Maybe say, okay, instead of offering, you know, hey, Avis, instead, of, I'm picturing Avis for some reason. I don't even know. Like, that's not even like a, sorry, Avis. Okay, Hertz, you know, whoever, you know, budget, rent a car. Yeah, it's, maybe it's not a discount anymore. Maybe you provide them the opportunity for advertising. And they pay, you know, a thousand bucks and they get some ads or something. Instead of saying, hey, we're going to give you every discount under the sun. And that is a, and so you're really kind of focusing in on your, um, on key benefits that are kind of helping lawyers move their practice forward. I think that's a, it's a really easy, good start to look at. It's, it can just be targeted, right? Instead of being yeah. a, a scattershot, instead of throwing everything at the wall and, and seeing if a museum, art museum membership is really what people want to discount on. Um, start sort of, and even recommend, right? You're sort of, these are the things that we think are valuable and that you should focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some, I mean, some bars now, I mean, I know Washington just started up member benefits in a different way and they are taking a very narrow approach to it. And they, it, it kind of a, a very methodical approach to it. Mm-hmm. And Florida, okay, and I've, I'm not saying, it's not like I'm you know, being, 
overly critical without having said this in front of the leadership's face before, but they, they have a lot of new benefit member benefits, which is great. But like, you know, for example, I think they have eight cloud-based time and billing options. Hmm. So, so they're not providing that, that helpful piece, which is here's, here are the two or three that we actually think you should focus on. Right. And because part of that gets to, and this is where I think I've, I've heard this at a lot of bars where they say, well, we don't want to look like we're endorsing a certain platform. And that's a, you know, so some states, for example, let's say if we stay on that cloud-based practice management platform, uh, Clio has a lot of exclusive deals with, with state bars so that they, you know, Rocket Matter or my case can't show up uh, at the party at the state bar level. And those are some exclusive deals. Are the, are the states saying, hey, we endorse this product to no end? No, they're just saying, this is the one we're providing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some nuances there. And probably because we're talking about lawyers, this is where people get hung up that whether you're talking about endorsement versus, hey, we made a good deal and we're exclusive. So our members get a better discount or something along those lines. It's a, a you have to be narrow yeah. regardless. I, well, I think I th- that's huge. I th- it sounds like what's missing is, um, is that that piece that says, look, here's how we think the future of law works, um, or, or even the present. Here's, here's how we think you succeed now, and you succeed it by using these sorts of tools, um, and we're going to show, we're going to have CLEs, and, and we've got trainers, and we're going to show you how we think they ought to be used to get the most out of them. Exactly. But, you know, you say that, and what's kind of fascinating is that, um, Let's say, look. Let's look at Fastcase. So Fastcase is a you know, obviously a free member benefit in many bars at this point. And one of the things that uh, Fastcase provides is they actually provide um, uh, free uh, training webinars, and they also do th- you know in person seminars too to say, hey, here's how we use it, mm-hmm. and you know here's how to use your free member benefit. Oh, you get CLE for free as well, and that is a so people take advantage of that, and you know, it goes to what you're talking about. It's how do we help them use the you know, the tools that are there, and it's there's that education component that's obviously pretty important as well. And people show up for them. So when you um, let's do let's do this two ways. So um, what's the biggest mistake you think you see among bar associations right now? What's the thing they're doing worst? doing worst. I think the there's still a lot of fear that as far as change and I know that's overly stated but that's you know the the challenge that bars have is is this historic infrastructure. So think about how they operate. It's you've got you know bars have you know, great staffs. I've met so many of them across the country. They're they're, the actual staff that works for the bars are um, d- doing everything they can to try to figure out how do we move this association forward. Mm-hmm. The challenge that they have and the infrastructure that they have is they get a new president every year. And so every year there's somebody that comes in and says, um, all right, this is what my year is going to look like. And the past three years could have been gone, going down a certain path, but because they've been you know, elected in or selected as the, the president, they have their year. Well, I've noticed that. And the problem is a year isn't enough time to really get anything done. No, often, not at not all. Not often anyway. It can either destroy a lot, it can destroy more versus actually create more. So you have to, so I think, and this is, you know, I think this is a lot easier said than done is you have to have that strategy within your line of succession to mm-hmm. say, okay, here's you know, where we're going. Let's get everybody on the same page yeah, five so we can plan. keep that moving. Right, exactly. And and typically, you've got maybe three, maybe four most in the succession planning line. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, – and I've seen – I've seen this in Ohio where you you have a president who comes in and decides they're going to rock the boat and change everything within a bar association that's not ready for that. 
and try to force a lot of that and ruffle a lot of feathers, make a lot of angry, you know, people angry. Well, and we just thought of the ABA, right? They tried to they tried to try that partnership with Rocket Lawyer and, and that's right. I'm, I'm not making a judgment call on whether yep. or not that was a good program, but um uh, and and I talked to Rocket Lawyer about the HeadTech show and they said, well, it actually just ended on its own terms. But the membership got really fired up about it and and I think uh, that caused some problems. And and I, I get that what the ABA was just doing was trying to move things forward a little bit and uh, just ran headlong into the delegates. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good example. The, the Rocket Lawyer thing is a uh, – it that highlights so many kind of – fascinating dynamics about the bar world. So mm-hmm. you have the ABA doing something that is a, uh, a program intended to, you know, I mean, at its core, it's about obviously providing access to, uh, access to legal services at a cost effective rate to the public, but it's also a way to drive work directly to members. Yeah. And the, so you have this, you know, partnership, which I think is, so. this is where the win comes in for, for bars is that they partnered with a legal tech company. Mm-hmm. Legal tech has the money. You know, nobody can, you know, you know Mark and Avo got, you know, what was it like $71 million in funding last year that they secured. And there is no bar in this country that has anywhere close to that as, as far as assets to grow and to be able to compete from a marketing perspective about getting you know, work into lawyers' hands, they just can't do it. So you have a rocket lawyer ABA situation, which is intended you know, to, to do good. But then we have the dynamic of, well, the state and local bars didn't feel included enough. And so now we have a communication issue. And now we're talking about turf issues, which are legit and historical, where when you're talking about fighting you know, for CLE dollars, or in that case, we're talking about lawyer referral service, which has been a, that's a, a, not only it's a key service, but it's also a non-dues revenue, revenue, revenue generating tool for state and local bars. So now it's this, you know, all right, how do we get everybody to play along kind of thing? Yeah. But the, you're right, it did end on its own terms as a pilot project that, it was kind of touted as, wow, there was this win by the, the state and locals, but it was set to terminate as is. And I, I, I think it is a, um, uh, this is just a conversation I was having with some ABA folks at, at tech show, but the, uh, it's a, you know, I think it's the step in the right direction. I think the, while it met resistance, great, because you know what, had that fight not occurred, most people would have known that the ABA is trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the, uh, are you familiar with the, uh, resolution one Oh five that came out yep. of the uh, changing it to say that, Hey, you can actually consider, uh, options to bring non-lawyers in. Right. So you're looking at a, this came out of the ABA commission on the future of legal services, which, um, you know, the first thing that they put out was the kind of these model regulatory obje- objectives that, the states could, you know, basically pin to the top of their their ethics rules, mm-hmm. and that I'm, I'm a, I just became a, a part of that commission as a liaison for the law practice division. And remember, when I first got involved, I read the the draft of those objectives, and I was reading through this. I was like, it's like, geez, these guys have been working for a year, and this is all they've come up with. And then I got mm-hmm. to that last half a you know sentence on that you know the last sentence, the last phrase when it was talking about the kind of the 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 non lawyer the non legal services, and I was like, oh, there it is. Right. That's where the fun's going to be. And then so it passed, and that's great, and I think that's really important for purposes of kind of moving the ball forward. But the conversation that came out of that is really amazing. Yeah. Where you had, you know, most people, obviously, since it passed, said, hey, this is a this is something we should do. But what it did was it also surfaced a lot of the the issues that still exist on the state and local level. Uh, and there's a lot of nuances there. Um, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So uh, so that we've talked a little bit about what bar associations tend to do wrong. Maybe the, the note to end on is. Uh, what are some of the bright points? What are some of the the things that bar associations are doing that give you hope that we can solve this problem and uh, move into the future? 
think the, I think it is actually really bright. And I the reason I say this is because I see what they're trying to do. Bars are now trying different programs. We just highlighted several of them uh, throughout our talk here, where you know, not all of them are going to work. But you try things. It's kind of like you know, any kind of business venture. Not everything is going to stick, but you keep trying different ways of, kind of advancing. And I think that, that's what we're seeing. And I know there's a lot more in the works. And you know, just even you know, even some state and locals are working on programs that may not be on the rocket lawyer scale of of kind of the in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, that's a, um, but they're trying things that are intended to help their members, uh, succeed. And that's a bright spot. People aren't just giving up and folding up and going home, which you know is think, really important. You know what I think made that happen is at, at some point in the last couple of years, I think a lot of bar associations, and we're using bar associations to sort of as a monolithic entity, which it really, you know, it's not, there's delegates, there's parliamentary stuff, there's committees, there's leadership, there's, um, there are the employees, there's all kinds of people involved. But, uh, but in general, uh, I think uh, the people involved in bar associations have gotten a little bit more open to being criticized, uh, which took uh, a lot longer than I think it probably should have. But it is, it means that you can actually start having conversations that involve you're doing it wrong. Because bar associations have quite clearly been doing some things wrong for a while now. Um, and are at least as slow to react as many of the firms that are their members. Um, but their defensiveness, whenever you bring that up, has been a real barrier to change. Um, and in fact, it often is the form of you're criticizing us so we won't even work with you or hear what you have to say. Um, and, but I think that's opened up. And over the last couple of years, lots of people involved in bar associations are not only willing to hear that criticism, but they're willing to engage and turn it around and say, okay, well... Um, I hear you. What can we do to make that better? And that's, I think, a really valuable thing that has opened the way to these experiments that we're seeing that really give you hope. And I, I think give me some hope too, both for the profession and for the future bar associations. Absolutely. I'll, I can give you a very specific example of how you can see that shift. So in Ohio, the uh, Ohio Supreme Court put has put on a symposium twice, and the first one was is about three years ago, and the second one occurred two years later, so about a year ago. And it brought together uh, the practicing bar, it brought together law schools, it brought together the bench, it brought together bar associations, all for kind of a day long symposium on. Basically, what the hell are we doing? Mm -hmm. How are we gonna? How we've got? Wow, we've got a profession that needs to move. Let's let's get everybody in the room that that can help that make this happen, and let's spend a day getting that that ball rolling. And I, I attended both of them, and the first one was pretty fascinating because the lawyers were very much like, "Hey, we got to do something." And the I remember the law schools. Um, I remember one of my old professors say, well, listen, we're fine. You know, <laughs> we're, we don't really need to do anything. And I, we think this is the bar association issue. And the bar stood up at the time and said, hey, we're willing to have discussions. Tell you what, hey, law schools, we'll come out and we'll talk. You know, everybody's been talking for years, but it's like, all right, let's have another discussion. Yeah. So that's what came out of it. And then, and I remember walking away from it. It's like, oh, come on. That's the best we can do. Yeah. Two, year, two years later, back again. And at this point, law school uh, enrollments declining dramatically. All of a sudden, the law school was like, all right, so, you know, <laughs> let's. Wait, maybe we have been doing something wrong. <laughs> wait, let's, let's. Uh, maybe residency ideas aren't so horrible, you know, like let's start. And the, the, the conversations were very different right. and it was really fascinating. And it was a lot of the same people in the room two years later, just started seeing And it, what does it all come? It all comes down to money, right? The firms that said, we don't have to change because our clients are still here. As soon as that happens, well, they say, okay, we got to do something about it. Bar associations, membership declines. Oh, okay. That's going to have an effect not only on membership dues, but non-dues revenue. That's a problem. And now law schools are seeing it. So that um, 
that tightening all around has been really important to kind of bring everybody together. Well, Chad, thanks so much for being with us today to talk about bar associations and surviving the future um, for, for the bar associations. And uh, I really appreciate it. A great conversation. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. 